So there are so many aspects about Jesus' life and how he modeled and how he just has shown us who God is through his life and and the characteristics and aspects of of Jesus that that I appreciate so much. In fact, every time I read God's word, you know, especially in the New Testament, I get an appreciation for Jesus, especially about his selfless love. That even if I was the only person on the face of the earth, right? If God only made me, that Jesus would have to come for me because I'm a sinner. And what he has done to take away, right, my sin, to, to take the punishment that I deserve, to die on a cross for my sins, but not only that, to rise again from the dead to give us hope. I mean, that's huge. But then throughout his life, we get to appreciate more and more who Jesus is and what he has done as we read. And because we have different personalities, right, you and I, we're not the same. When we read God's word, we appreciate Jesus more and more, especially in the different seasons in life, right? In the valleys and the highs, we get a different perspective of him. What I appreciate about Jesus uh, more and more is his ability to have spiritual conversations. I mean, he is a master at having spiritual conversations that go right to the heart. I mean, think about the Gospels, right? This ruling Jewish guy, right, a a, a smart guy, he leads the Jewish people in in the ways of God, Nicodemus, but maybe he's afraid to go to Jesus. Uh, He comes to him at night because maybe he's ashamed of of, of asking this teacher questions, and then Jesus says, hey, Nicodemus, guess what? you got to be born again. What? How can you be born again, right? It piques his his spiritual curiosity, and then he meets this woman at the well, and he says to, to her, I have this living water that take you, if you drink of it, to eternity. And she says, I want that living water. Where can I get some, right? He hangs out with Pharisees and tax collectors, right? He talks to children. Everywhere he goes, he's having spiritual conversations that go right to the heart. He models that for us. And so the sermon series, Into Every Relationship, that's what it's about, to look at Jesus and how he demonstrated those skills, particularly skills like noticing and praying and listening. We get to learn from the best. Why? Because our church's vision, faith's vision, is really to bring Jesus into every relationship. And how does that usually happen? It happens by conversations. Does that make sense? So as your pastors, it's our job to encourage you, to encourage you to be, as a Christ follower, to share your faith in those conversations, whether it's in your own home, whether it's at your workplace or in school or when you help serve here at church at VBS or you're going to go downtown or on mission trips, that we get to share this good news. But as we share the good news, practicing these skills is so important. Here's why. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, he says this, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Think about that. Jesus is praying, God, as you sent me, it's an adverbial clause, how did God send Jesus? How did God send Jesus? Think about it. As a baby. And what do babies do? They have to learn. They have to grow. They have to observe. They have to listen before they even can talk, right? Because of Jesus and what he did, I want you to take you to verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew. That means the God of the universe. Think about this. The God of the universe humbled himself so much as to be able to have to learn, to practice skills. What kind of skills did Jesus learn? Well, His stepfather was a carpenter, so he learned how to make things out of wood and how to fix things or out of stone. 
Jesus desires in the same way that we should learn and we should grow to be his instruments of salvation to share that good news. And how does that happen? In conversations. You ever think about this? That one day you're in heaven, right, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'm here because of you. Whoa. Wouldn't that be the just utmost honor to say that person is in heaven with you because of what you said to them or how you lived your life? I mean, I don't care about how successful or famous or rich I, I am. I don't care how successful or famous my, my kids would be, right? What's most important is our salvation, our eternal security. It is. For this little man, right, Xavier Lewis Clark, it's secure. Not because of what he will do the rest of his life, but what God has promised. Forever and eternity with him. Forever. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome that we get to have that privilege to have that ability to speak those in conversation, speak those good truths and promises of God. And so as we go through this sermon series, it's not just about, okay, Pastor Tony, got your sermon notes. I wrote them down. That's great. You know, and then we, we forget about them. No, we want really you to practice these skills. And we're going to give you opportunities on how to do that. But to actually set aside time to make it a priority, to, to have some self-discipline, it's hard to do. I get it, right? Even just studying the Bible, right? It's hard to do. But we take small steps to practice because practice makes what? Practice makes perfect. It builds this muscle memory, you know, that kind of memory that you is stored kind of in your unconscious, and you just don't, you know, you never forget how to ride a bike, right? If you learn how to juggle, you kind of just know how or play an instrument. I was reading an article at, at Oxford uh, University newsletter on the website, their website, and it, and it explains this phenomenon of, of muscle memory. I'm going to read a couple excerpts from this, okay? Even the simplest everyday actions involve a complex sequence of tensing and relaxing many different muscles. For most of these actions, we have, re we have had repeated practice over our lifetime, meaning that these actions can be performed faster, more smoothly, more accurately. And over time, then, continual practice actions as complicated as riding a bike, knitting, or even playing a tune on a musical instrument can be formed almost automatically and without thought. We often talk about these skills as being held in muscle memory. But this term's really a bit of a misnomer because certain skills, right, certain skills like cycling or perfecting a tennis serve might require the strengthening of certain muscles. These processes or processes are, are important for learning and memory of new skills occur mainly, though, in the where? In the brain, not in the muscles. So changes that occur in the brain during the skill learning and, and memory, they alter the information that the brain sends out to muscles. So we build muscle memories, particularly muscles in, in our ears, in our eyes, in our mouth, in our lips, in our hearts. Skills like noticing, right? So, Lord, help me build up my eyes to notice what you notice. Like hearing, help me to really listen to others. God, my lips and my heart, that I might be able to pray to you even more effectively. Why? So that we could bring Jesus into every relationship that we have. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to do for the next three weeks, noticing, praying, and listening. And speaking about relationships, you know, we're also trying to cultivate conversations with those that watch strictly online. And I don't know if you knew this, but we have people 
that, help, that, that honor us, to, to help us come right into your living room. But you might be in a living room that's over in England. You might be in a living room that's in California or Florida or Georgia or even Chicago, Illinois. So shout out to my daughter. She's the only family member that's not here today. But we have people watching strictly online. And so for those of you right now online, would you go to faithtroy.org uh, backslash at home or front slash whatever that is, right? It's on the screen. <laughs> That's me in computer technology, right? You've known that over the years. Uh, but we want you to fill out a short form just so we could get to know you better, just so we could connect and have some more conversations. For everyone else, guess what's going to happen on our YouTube channel? After today, on Monday, there's going to be resources for you that you can actually practice these skills. Not just individually, but if you're in a small group setting and you're, you're there with others, you can practice these skills. Go to our YouTube channel. We get to build up our muscle memory together. So not only is Jesus the ultimate model for these conversational skills, really Jesus shows the caring heart of God. So I want to ask you to open up to Genesis chapter 16 because in Jesus we see the heart of God. And we're going to hear a story. It's probably familiar to you. It's about a story of Abraham and Sarah the one that God chose to build out of him a promise that he would be a father of many nations, right? But Abraham's wife and he, they were unable to have children. So they're confused. God, how are you going to accomplish this? You made a promise, but how are you going to do it? And I kind of know what Abraham feels like because for almost three years, my wife and I were, were not able to conceive. We're wondering, God, would you give us children? We, we, we were just dying to be parents so, so much, but it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And after three years, watch out. The floodgates open. Three boys, three girls, and we're so grateful now. But guess what? I also have three grandchildren, and they're here today, and I want you to meet them. Let's come on up. Xander, Jordan, come here. So my son, who is the son of a con our congregation, Brandon, he just finished his first year at the seminary. And for those of you that don't know, since I've been here 15 years, we've probably had half a dozen guys go through the seminary like him. And this is, they're in the process of adopting Xander and Jordan. And Jordan really wants to be a preacher. And so my, my grandson, Reed, and, and my daughter-in-law, Shelby, she reminded me that they've been married for four years. I thought it was three. I said it last. I don't know. But four years, and what a blessing it is to have them. And for Brandon to be blessed to be a pastor of our church in Missouri is just awesome. So thank you for welcoming them. God bless you. So back, back to our story of, of Abraham. So if you get distracted or if I get distracted, you're going to know why in my message, right? And like I asked the 915, just go ahead and watch it again. Go ahead and watch it again because you're paying attention to them and not so with me. Oh, you're going for this one? God bless you. See you. Good night, Reed. You don't have to listen to me twice. Now you won't be distracted. Oh, that's great. And I won't either. So this better be a good one. Okay. <laughs> Back to the story of Abraham and Sarah. They, they came up with their own idea to have a kid. Remember? What was it? You know, back in that day, it was kind of culturally acceptable. Just take my slave woman from Egypt, Hagar, and have a baby with, with her, and that's going to be great, right? Well, in God's eyes, it wasn't. Even Jesus says from the beginning, right, one man and one woman in marriage. But it, 
because of their hardness of hearts, they could have more than one wife and, and concubines and all that. So we pick up the story about what happened then. Genesis chapter 16, verse 6. Sarai, that was Sarah before she was renamed by God, mistreated Hagar. Mistreated. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. The God who sees. The God who notices. The God who knows everything about us, right? The exact number of hairs on our head written in the palm of his hand. No matter who you are, even if you think God doesn't care about you, guess what? He does. He sees. He loves his creation. Each and every one of you. That's an awesome thing about the character of God. And Jesus shows this. He models this for us. He notices people, people close to him, people far away from him. Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus showing this for us. As he starts his ministry, he goes about from village to village. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's showing his authority by his teaching. And he says, verse 36, when he saw when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees. He notices. He shows the heart of God by seeing people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he has what? Compassion. You know that Greek word compassion really means that it makes your insides move? That it makes your guts move? You ever had that experience before? When, when you saw something, when you saw hurting people, when you saw somebody in pain, did your guts move? I've had that experience having been to so many different countries as, as the outreach pastor here in the favelas of Brazil. After the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, my guts moved with empathy toward people who were harassed. They were helpless. They were caught in voodoo. They were caught in Islam. In Kazakhstan, the orphanages there, it was heartbreaking. They were helpless, and they needed help. They needed a good shepherd. And yet here comes Jesus, this caring heart of God. He has compassion, and he notices when that happens, and he notices that for us. He understands why they're harassed, why they're helpless, because it's the same enemies that they had today that we have too. What are those enemies? It's the devil. It's the world. It's our own sinful flesh. The devil who is invisible, right? The devil who's been there from the beginning almost, right? Like a predator attacking, prowling around, wanting to kill and rob and steal our faith. That's what the devil wants, to implant untruths in our head, to cause us to have pain in our bodies physically, emotionally. That's Satan busy at work, the one who whispers in your ear, right? Go ahead, it's okay to be jealous. Go ahead and lust after that. Go ahead and envy, you deserve it. 
That's him. And those attacks come not just to people who don't know Jesus, but more so to people who do. Because he wants us in his kingdom again. That's why we ask that we pray for Xavier all the time. We pray for everyone who's been baptized, that we stay in the one true faith because there is a real enemy. Second enemy is the world. Not the beautiful planet that we live on, but the spirit of the world, right? The spirit of the world that's an enemy who turns people away from God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says it this way, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces, those are seen and unseen, right, of this world rather than on Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says it this way, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The world preaches lies, doesn't it? Constantly, through movies, through music, through news, through academic institutions, through world leaders who influence, we ought to be having the Holy Spirit able to discern what's truth and what's lie. What does God's Word say? That's it. Third enemy is very close to home, isn't it? It's our own sinfulness, isn't it? Those desires that pull us down, that drag us away from a relationship with God, that part of us that's undisciplined, the undisciplined part of ourselves that feels good when we please it and it works against us having and maintaining a right relationship with God. Galatians chapter 6 teaches us how the flesh is an enemy. In verse 8 it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. Three enemies that drag us down and that will continue to drag us down until Jesus comes to us or until he calls us home. And so we pray for that. We notice that. We listen for people that are in that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a Savior. I have a Savior that sees this. He notices and he cares. He knows how we're harassed. He did something about it. He defeated the devil on the cross. Amen? Amen. Took our sin, took the punishment we deserve, rose again from the dead so we know we have eternity as a gift to us, a gift of faith that God gives to those he loves and that God wants to give to all the world, right? For God so loved the what? The world that he gave. He gave Jesus so that we might be part of his way to bring salvation to the world. And it all starts with noticing. The first really developing and in, in developing any relation with anyone starts with noticing. There's a book that I read recently uh, a couple years ago. Doug, it's called God Space by Doug Pollock. And in it he says this about noticing. A prerequisite to caring about others and serving them in tangible ways that smuggle the gospel into their hearts. I love that phrase, smuggle the gospel, because it reminds me of those missionaries that don't care what happened to them, right, in their life, because they know whose they are and who they are. And they, they take Bibles into countries where they know if they get in trouble, they're going to be persecuted. Or the people that receive them are going to be killed. They smuggle, but I'm not talking about that kind of smuggling, the gospel, because it's not underhanded, it's not sneaky, but it is winsome. Winsome in having spiritual conversations, to be innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes, right? We, we know how to bring spiritual conversations. We practice that. And it, it all starts here in our church to build up our body together. 
I mean, it's really not effective, right, to go on a street corner with a megaphone and a sign that says turn and burn, right, or you're going to hell. I mean, it's just people think you're weird if you do that, right? But if you notice someone, if you care about someone, and we have this best, the best news ever that we want to share, but it starts with noticing. Why? I'll tell you, Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that a person will certainly not lose their reward. I want you to think about it this way. In in the dry climate of the, the Middle East, right, during the time of Jesus, water, that was a great gift to give to somebody, right? Good, clean water that you could actually drink to ease the problem of thirst. What if, what if in our desire to share the good news that we start with noticing what would be a good first step, that would be a good first step for spiritually thirsty people. It's kind of that relational equivalent to a cup of cold water. When we notice someone, wow, you changed your hairstyle, or you're looking down today, or what's up, you know, how are you, but how are you really, right? We notice people in relationships that we have. You know, when I was when I was back at the seminary as a full-time student, I had a missionary professor from China who shared this verse with me from 1 Kings 8, 41 and 43. It says, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, then hear from heaven. I want you to think about this for a minute, the foreigner, right? Not just the foreigner who speaks a different language or looks different, but the foreigner who is not part of God's kingdom, Right? could be the old lady next door to you that's been around your neighborhood forever and doesn't know Jesus. The foreigner does not know your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel. We're part of Israel, right? Gentiles, part of the one true faith. And don't you know when I heard that verse, the very next day, as I'm praying about this in my yard, what I was actually doing was playing, you ever get those plastic golf balls, you know, trying to, I, I'm a soccer player, I don't even know what I was doing that day, but I'm playing golf. I think I invented this game called Backyard Golf, by the way, ask me about it later, but here's what I'm doing, and then, find, and then I hear these, these boys speaking in a different language and sometimes trying to speak English, they're right outside my fence, and they have a broken bike, like, yeah, I'll fix that. You know, me and tools, right? Well, I happened to be able to fix it that day. But then as the conversation's going, you know, you know, we love soccer. Oh, yeah, okay, now we're talking about something, right? Our dads love soccer. Hey, I want you to meet my dad. Okay. Hey, and, his, and, and my, I meet the, the, the parents, the adult parents, and they say, hey, Tony, can you help us? We're refugees from Bosnia, from a war-torn country, Muslim people. Can you help us get these boys soccer uniforms? Here I am, a poor seminarian. I, like, I, I wish I could give that to you. So I went home, prayed about it, asked my dad who owns a company, who said, oh, I'll write a $200 check. Here you go. Wow, that's awesome. So I go back, knock on the door. Here's $200. Go get your uniforms. And here, here's the, the soccer boys from Bosnia back in the day. We, we got a team together. And isn't that awesome? Hey, the... These boys, some of the older ones, have seen parents killed in front of them, right? Just like that. Um, Fathers who experience so much bloodshed. I mean, they just have post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's like from that conversation, went to the getting uniforms, went to me playing on a Bosnian soccer team with all Muslim men. And 12, by the time I left St. Louis in 2006, I got the privilege to baptize 12 Bosnian Muslims. It was awesome. 
just a great thing. Why? Because it starts with noticing. It starts with opening up your eyes. So I want to close today with three things that you can do about noticing to practice this skill. Okay, first, pay attention. So it takes time to stay focused on someone, to pay attention because it costs something, doesn't it? It costs something on your end. It costs your time to take notice, pay attention on, on, on more than just a glance, right? More, more than that. It's concentrating often, enough, just concentrating to wonder, just to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on you. No words from a distance wherever. What's their story? What are they about? What are they wearing? What do, they look, what do they look like today? Is it the same if I get to see them repetitively? You know, to, to ask this, some people call this spiritual peripheral vision. I love that word. It's, it's, it's paying attention to people that you come into contact with ordinarily every day and ask those questions, make a mental note of that. Some people call it in, in one of my seminary classes as biblical anthropology participant observation where I didn't speak at all, just looked it, it was really good. The second practice for noticing is incorporating a simple prayer. And, and Pastor RJ is going to talk about prayer next week. But praying a silent prayer for someone is just huge because it opens up our heart. It opens up the, the, the work of God to say, God, bring yourself. Draw that person near to you. I love this verse. Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, don't let your, hand, your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that you may, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We call it a secret prayer, a secret silent prayer. Last thing about noticing is to genuinely listen. Listen to people. Notice, in noticing them after you, you know, I say it this way, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? So, so, so we listen. And for a pastor that's an extrovert, it's really hard to keep my mouth shut. But, but, but God helped me keep my mouth shut to have no agenda to just listen and ask kind of clarifying questions so that I can build that relationship. That's how we notice. We pay attention, we silently pray, and we listen, and we let God work through the power of the Holy Spirit on this wild adventure that he has us in as his Christ followers. Amen.